<clears throat> Good morning. <clears throat> Welcome to Warehouse. We are in week four of a series called The Kingdom of Me. And in going through this series, one of the things that we have tried to stress, no, we actually have stressed over and over again, is that some of our <clears throat> deepest and strongest desires for life, for joy, for beauty, it's actually us who get in the way of those. And that God and the plan, the, the path he has for us is not designed to limit or to shrink back our life, but actually expand it beyond that we would have thought, we would have hoped, or quite honestly, the pathways that we would have created would have made possible. In this uh, song by Death Cab for Cutie, You Are a Tourist, it talks about, it raises up that issue of the deeper desires the more profound desires, and how we respond to those. Welcome to Warehouse. <clears throat> One of my favorite professors at seminary was um, a guy that we called the colonel, not to his face, but his name was Dr. Rayburn, and he was a, really, he was a pillar. He was a giant in, in terms of his, uh, the respect he was held in and in his latter years, he had come to the seminary to teach us uh, how to preach, essentially. And he was direct and sometimes brutal, never pulled punches, told us everything but from how to dress to how to speak to how to move. And well, we listened, broke a lot of his rules, but we listened because of the strength of his personality and the respect we held him in. And one of the things that was interesting is when somebody would stand up and speak, it was never me, this has happened to, somebody would stand up and speak, and they would speak for a while, and you got done, you go, okay, that's a bunch of information, I have no idea where to go with this. What he would do, is it, you have to picture this guy, he's 75 years old, he's got gray hair, gray beard, he's dressed in a suit, very dignified, and he'd go like this. He'd raise his hand in the back, and then the student would go, uh, yes, Dr. Rayburn. He'd say, what do you want me to do? And then the student would try to make something up. I, I, and then Dr. Rayburn began what he would say to us over and over again. Imagine me sitting in the back. Whenever you speak for the rest of your life, I want you to see me sitting in the back with my hand raised going, what do you want me to do? Because simply telling people information is of no use. So... What do I want you to do today? This is what I want. I want you to listen. Not necessarily to me. I'm going to assume that. I want you to listen for something deeper. I want you to listen for a voice. I want you to listen for a desire that's more core than you're used to listening to. We get in our way. God has for us not a picture of a life, an actual life that is beyond our normal parameters. And one of the things he does throughout our life is he attempts to wake us to it. There's a passage I love in the Old Testament where it says, deep calls to deep. In describing how God seeks to reach us, deep calls to deep. Not surface calls to surface. The depth of God calls to the depth of our hearts to wake us to a bigger, deeper more profound life than we would normally recognize 
or go after. Because see what happens. There are times in our life when something resonates. And it's almost as if in those moments when you watch an action or you see a scene or it's almost as if you, you heard something or you smelled something. It was almost like your senses came alive and you're in, inwardly going, what was that something was beyond the norm there? And it's as if I woke up and saw something I didn't expect and is beyond my norm. And then what can happen so often to us is we push that aside and go back to life as normal. Life filled with distractions and pursuits, but missing that deeper, more profound, more core desire. You see, a truth of Christianity is your deepest desires are not false, they're true. It's the ones that are less deep that get us into trouble and form the obstacles to the life that God has for us. There is a kingdom of God, a realm we're called to live in, that is, as described in the Bible, the place of joy, peace, and righteousness in the Spirit. Well, living in the presence of God, we experience the full, the full order of things that we want. Right living and joy and peace all combined. So today, what I want you to do is listen. Listen for that voice. Listen for those deeper desires respond to those. There's a passage I want to look with you at, which is in a New Testament letter. It's the second letter to the Corinthian church. The Corinthian church was a church in Asia Minor that Paul, who started most of the early churches that we know about in the Bible, found it, and he wrote back to a couple of different times. This is the second time, thus the second letter to the Corinthians. And in that, he has just laid out some of the things that God calls us to in life. And then he moves on and says this in the fifth chapter. All this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting men's sins against them. And he's committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf. Be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Now, as we walk through some of that passage, we're essentially going to move through three, three stages. And the first I want to focus on is, is this, this concept that runs all through that, that passage of reconciliation. The core to this passage is that God is saying, Paul is saying there's something that God has done in order to reconcile God with people. Now, reconciliation, all it means is that there was a relationship, something happened within it that caused some friction, distance, or breach in the relationship, and reconciliation means that breach, that problem, was not ignored. It was dealt with and removed so the relationship could resume its strength in, uh, uh, you know, the profoundness of the relationship. Every one of us has had relationships in our life where something has happened in the midst of it that's caused some level of breach. And the issue always is, is the relationship valuable enough to me or to the other person to deal with that breach, to remove it? Will I choose Reconciliation or let the breach stand. 
you know, I often talk about things in my life. Uh, when I'm talking about relationships, I'm always, well, that's not true. I'm almost always going to talk about relationships a little bit distant because I don't want you to think I'm talking about you. And so I'm going to tell you about a relationship that's distant, so it's not about you. Okay. Way back, a long, long time ago, in a country far away, I had a close friend, very close. We've we been close for three or four years. We're good friends. And then some distance developed between us. It, just, it wasn't necessarily a breach, but just some distance. We, we drifted apart some for a variety of reasons, some good, some you know, not so good, but we, we started to drift apart. Relationship was not broken. It had become a little more distant. And then we bumped into each other out somewhere where I was with one friend, he was with another, and it was the sort of place that he and I had often gone to do stuff. And so there was a bit of an awkward moment recognizing that there was some distance had developed and we weren't, hadn't gone to this place together to hang out. But then something happened which changed the tenor of the relationship. And he invited myself and my other friend to go with him and his friend to do something and for a variety of reasons, some good, some bad, some indifferent, we chose not to. We chose to do something else. At that moment, something changed in our relationship. What was distance now was a breach. And so this is what it would be awesome to tell you. We looked at our relationship and at that breach, and we waited in, and we did the hard work, and we restored it. Not true. I haven't talked to him in years. We let the breach stand. Neither one of us, for whatever reason, did not deem the reconciliation of that relationship valuable enough to face the breach and do something about it. So it stood, and the relationship fell apart. Here is a fascinating concept, which I'm only going to deal with peripherally. What this passage says is that there was a breach between us and God. In other words, we were created for a relationship. Reconciliation always means something is broken, which was not meant to be broken. So we were created for a relationship with God. Something happened, and God deemed the relationship important enough to wade in and deal with the breach. So what had happened? We're going to back up here, and then we're going to move forward again. What had happened? What's the reconciliation about between God and us? It it says this in verse 19. God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting men's sins against them. And then in verse uh, 21, God made him who knew no sin to to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. This is what it says. There was a breach between humanity and God. That breach, the Bible defines as sin. Sin, biblically, it it began as a Hebrew word that simply meant I missed the mark. I didn't live the way I was supposed to. Not a series of rules, but more, God called us to be connected with him and to live a certain way, and humanity chose to live a different way chose to walk away, chose to do things that created a breach between God and man. God, a holy, pure, loving being, and humanity chose to do things which caused a breach between God and man. The Bible calls that sin, a perpetual issue that has gone through all of 
humankind. What the Bible says happened is that what Jesus did, God was in the world in Christ taking care of that breach. He looked at the gap between humanity and him, and he said, okay, there's a breach here. They caused it. I'll take it. So that he who knew no sin, Jesus, the sinless son of God, took the offense and counted it as his own, as if he had done it and said, I will pay the penalty. You see, the breach between God and man meant humanity was separated, cut off from God. Jesus goes to a cross and he dies, the ultimate cut off. And in that moment, he essentially takes the breach, the obstacle we've created between God and man, and he takes it himself. He tosses it on his back and lets himself take the blame, the fault, for the problem we created. The really amazing thing about it is this. Often in reconciliation, while there may be forays into it, it's a process. This is not a process. God reconciled people to himself. Point in time, done. On the cross, as Jesus is about to die, he says these words, it is finished, done. Humanity and God now can be reconciled. I've taken the breach away. The only thing that remains is people will you come. No work to be done. I paid for your sin completely. No work to be done. Reconciliation is now available to you. Will you take it? So what? Really, I mean, I know that sounds irreverent. God values us so much that he takes the penalty for our sin so that we can be reconciled, completely made right with him. And then I stand up here and say, so what? But so what? Where, where does that go? It goes to God eliminating the breach and now making possible a relationship with him that is bigger than simply me sitting with God. It certainly includes that, but it's me living inside the realm of God myself and others being connected, fully forgiven, reconciliation with God complete, so that the character, the purity of God pours over life and influences everything. And so, as we've said in this whole series, a kingdom kind of life is now possible, completely available to all those who've been reconciled and made right with God. Receive that, absolutely forgiven, connected with God, a relationship that's eternal and profound and for which you were made starts, and then you are ushered into a kingdom. A kingdom in which are the things that your deepest desires of your heart want. The problem is, it's at this point, we get in the way. We don't really mean to. We don't set out to get in the way but we get in the way. Because as this passage goes on, it shows us something about the kingdom that we often miss to get to the fullness of life. What it says is, all this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. 
God was reconciling the world himself in Christ, not counting men's sins against them. And he's committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though Christ were pleading through us, be reconciled to God. What Paul says here is, but wait, there's more. Reconciled to God, and now this message of reconciliation, what's happened to you, you can now give this away. Because at core to the kingdom, core to a kingdom of God life is imparting life to others. It's, it's giving it away. It's seeing joy on somebody else's face. Let me explain. I watched Auburn play football last night. I know, I've illustrated from football twice in a row. Unprecedented. Usually it's soccer. I, I watched Auburn play football last night. And I watched Auburn play football because I like Auburn. My wife went there. My daughter goes there. You know, hot. my daughter was in the stands somewhere. They never slow down enough for us to see her. It's like, there's a student section. It's gone. She was in there somewhere. Anyway, I was watching the Auburn game. Auburn's ahead 14 to 6 against Florida. They have the ball. It's about the 20-something yard line. And a couple minutes to go. It's fourth down. If they kick a field goal and they make it, game is over. Really. However, the kicker, Cody Parkey, has missed two kicks. He's already missed two. And so the, he's a 19-year-old kid. And so the commentators are going, uh, if Chiswick, Chiswick's the coach, Gene Chiswick. Uh, if Chiswick is, he's not going to have Parkey go out there and kick. He's already missed two. He can't let that kid go out there and miss that field goal. So he just needs to go for the first down because, you know, Parkey can't be trusted at this point. I like Parkey. You know why? He's a 19-year-old kid. We saw a game earlier this year where he missed an extra point, and the fans who will remain nameless, whichever team that was, because it would be any fans, could be any, they screamed mercilessly at Cody Parkey, a 19-year-old kid. Apparently, Parkey sucks. And so, Cody Parkey should not take this kick. Clearly, if you're wise, Gene Chizik, you don't put Parkey out there. He sends Parkey out to make the kick. And then Auburn commits an offside penalty, and now it's five yards farther. Now he has a 42-yard field goal. Surely Chizik's going to go, not now. Mm-mm. Pull Parkey off. Love you, kid. Get off the field. Got to win the game. Chizik doesn't appear to waver a moment. Takes the kick. Okay, Parkey makes it. Ah. The camera pans over to Gene Chizik. He pulls off his headset. He is beaming from ear to ear. Yes, he won the football game, but something else happens. He walks up to Parkey. He puts both hands on the side of his helmet, and you can see him speaking to the kid. You can almost imagine, I knew you could do it. And Parkey walks off the field, and he feels 10 feet tall. Why? Because his coach imparted life to him. I don't, I don't know Gene Chisick. I have no idea really who he is. But in that moment, something resonated. Nan and I were looking at it going, that's just awesome. And he believes in the kid. And something resonated within us like, this, this is it. This is where life is found. This is where the beauty is so much bigger. You, you give life away to somebody else and you see the joy in their face and you see their dignity raised and you think, that's it? See, this is where we notoriously get it wrong. We believe that if we pack a bunch of stuff into our life, stuff that's fine, they're accessories. Accessories are fine. 
You just don't want to use them instead of clothes. I mean, they're just accessories. They're extras. And so we pack our life with accessories. They're fine. They're fun. They're enjoyable. But we notoriously miss it in believing that the more we pull into our life, the happier we'll be. And we won't. Ingrown is bad. If you have an ingrown toenail, this is bad. The toenail is not supposed to grow into your foot. It's supposed to go out, and then you clip it. But it goes out when it's healthy. When it goes in, it's bad, and it hurts. We grow in. We, like a black hole, attempt to suck things in, believing somehow this will make us happy, and it doesn't. And then we wonder, why am I not as happy as I ought to be? God, why aren't you whatever? We notoriously get it wrong. That life is found when we impart it. It it seems so counterintuitive, but you watch it happen on a, a silly football game with a field goal kicker, and something goes, that's it. That's the life I want to lead. That's how I want to be. I want to live in such a way that joy bursts out on other people's face. Okay, I'm going to give you two versions of Christianity. One of them's wrong, just so you know. I'm even going to tell you which one is wrong, just because. This one's wrong. When I'm over here, it's wrong. This one's right. This is the view we have of Christianity. Jesus died for me to reconcile me to himself. That was really, really good of him. I should do some stuff for people. I don't know, maybe, how much? 5% of my time? 10, 15, maybe 20. And I should give some money and stuff. How much? Yes, Jesus, you did a lot for me, and I I appreciate that, and so I should try to do some more stuff. This isn't right. That's not life. That's guilt and duty and... This is the Christian life. Jesus reconciled me to himself. He paid a phenomenal price for me, and now he's ushered me into that very same type of life. He imparted life to me, freely, willingly, because he wanted to. He beams at the thought of humanity being reconciled to him. There's, a, there's this parable that Jesus said, and he says, we're one person, just one person. If one person enters the kingdom of God, all of heaven has a party. It's like, this is awesome. If they, if they don't have a tote board and it says, ding, one billion served, and so they hit a new high, and so they're racking up the numbers. One person. When one person enters the kingdom, all of heaven rejoices. Because that's the whole point. When we impart life to others, there is joy. And it goes back and forth. And the kingdom of God is a place of joy because people give life to one another. And so in this corner is the Christian view of life that says, I can now give life away and experience the same joy that Jesus did when he redeemed me. And I can watch the look on somebody's face as their dignity gets raised. So, Jesus didn't go, those people are a pain. But if I don't do something, 
They're going to perish. They can't get it right. And so what do I got to do? I, I'm, okay, I think I'm going to have to die for them. It'll take me, you know, 33 years or so. And, and then, then we'll be done, right? The Bible says that Jesus, for the joy set before him, laid down his life. The joy before him was you and me. He waded into our life because, see, that's what God is. God gives life. God imparts joy and beams as he does it. One writer has said God is the happiest being in the universe based upon all sorts of passages. One of them, Psalm 16, which says, In the presence of God there is fullness of joy at his right hand. There are pleasures forever. And in that God is the happiest being in the world because he gives it away. And joy breaks out in other people's lives. We notoriously get it wrong. We focus our life on, on fine things, but they're not at the core. We can enjoy all sorts of little accessories and truly enjoy them. But relationships, life, breaks out when we give it to someone else. In this passage, then, it takes it one step farther. It says, you really want to impart life to other people? Here's how. God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ and not counting men's sins against him, and he's committed to us the message of reconciliation. So you want to impart life? Beckon others in. You, you, you've just entered the kingdom of God. You've entered a space that the Bible defines as joy, peace, and righteousness. Right living and joy all combined together. Ask some more people in. There's a, a parable where Jesus says, talks about the kingdom of heaven. He likes to talk about the kingdom of heaven. And in, one, in this parable, it talks about a, a wedding feast. And in one key line, it's, he tells people, just go out and ask anybody to come in. Really, anybody? Yeah. So these people walk out in the street and say, come on, there's a banquet in there. There's food, there's wine. I assume there's music. It's a big party. Come on in. Go into the streets and invite people in. Because if they come in, there'll be joy. Now, here we are at evangelism. I don't even like the way it sounds. Seriously. Because we're talking about, the Bible says you want to give life to people, you want to experience the kingdom of God, impart life. Joy breaks out. One of the key ways, core ways to do that is to help people understand they too can experience the kingdom of God. And yet, in an era of difference and tolerance, it sounds bad to say, you can have a relationship with God if you receive this. And so, in our heads, this is what we do. I, I don't want to be rude. I want to be kind and generous, and so let me not force my view upon someone else. And as soon as I say force my view on somebody else, I know that I'm right not to do so, because that would simply be wrong. I will say this as, as gently as I can. At that moment, we have entered the kingdom of me again. Because then it's not about them. It's about me. There's an obstacle in my way, a cultural obstacle, to telling somebody joy awaits and the obstacle wins because we don't want to go past it. 
just like an unreconciled relationship, it's not worth it to us. And so we back off and we don't share a message that makes people alive and free. And Jesus essentially says, wasn't it awesome that I died for you and gave you eternal life? Yes, it was. Wouldn't it be great if other people could know that too? Absolutely. Why don't you tell them? Don't want to. Not because of them. Because of me. We have horrible views of what it looks like. Gene Chiswick grabbed Cody Parkey's helmet and he cared about the kid. And he spoke words of life and encouragement. And he didn't care what it looked like. Seriously, what we do when we love other people is we grab their helmet and we speak words they need to hear because we love them, because we care about them, because we want them to break out in joy, because we want them to experience a realm of peace, joy, and righteousness which they won't get apart from what Jesus has done for them and what he offers. And so every time we move out of that, we grab someone's helmet and we speak the words they need to hear, we move deeper into the kingdom of God. We impart life in such a way that joy breaks out. So what do I want you to do? I want you to hear that inner desire. The inner desire that revs up when you lead into somebody's life in such a way that you see them changed. And you know you did not force them into something. You offered them something that was beautiful for them. I want you to hear that inner voice and know that is God waking the deepest desires to live beyond yourself so that joy breaks out in you, through you, around you. That's how the kingdom of God comes to earth. It comes to earth when you wade into a homeless person's life, when you talk to your neighbor, when you grab a 19-year-old kicker. For some of you today, I want to say just one more thing. For some of you today, you've been around a warehouse, you've, something has occurred in your heart that you didn't expect. You've begun to think that maybe there's more to this whole Christian thing than following a set of rules that perhaps, perhaps it's actually true that God is pursuing you to give you a bigger, better life. A life that's less ingrown and more full. And something has begun to resonate within you and something has awoken that you didn't know was there. Like the Death Cab song, when there's a fire, let it grow. That resonance is real. Let it grow. Plow into it. And ultimately, if you want that, step into it. Walk forward and say, Jesus, I, I want this. Don't know what the future holds, but to be reconciled to God, to have the sins that have kept me apart from you gone, I want that. To enter a kingdom kind of life where the deepest and best part of me comes alive, I want that. I receive your forgiveness. I want to enter into a relationship that you have already said is done. I just have to take it. 
I encourage you to do that. You may have done many wise things in your life. This will be among the wisest things you've ever done because it'll make your heart the most alive and connect with the God for whom you are made. Let's pray. <coughs> Lord, help us to hear your voice, your spirit speaking to us. Resonating like a hammer hitting a chord, reverberating that sound of a deeper, truer understanding of how life is found and where joy is. I pray that for each one of us in the room. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. As we move into this time of response, the offering demonstrates really so much of what I've said. We do an offering at this point because we believe it is God who has come into our life. He has reconciled us to himself.